Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I'm joined with BJA member Fez and my co-host Joe748. How's it going, Fez? Doing fantastic today. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Joe748? Banging in there. I uh, had a fever like first half of the week, and then it morphed into like coughing and sore throat, and then I got an eye infection, and then I got an ear thing, and then uh, my nose started bleeding just now, so I got, um, I'm all kinds of messed up over here. <laughs> It's all that time in casinos. <laughs> yeah, probably. But Fez, you just got done with the trip. You didn't uh, You didn't get any uh, casino funk? Yeah, I stayed pretty healthy. Um, back-to-back trips. I just got off the road for about two weeks and uh, back to my home state for the time being. And I am not sick, but I will say the last trip I went on about a month ago, I did get sick, which put me out for about a week. So I do empathize for, for Joe over there. I know how you feel. Hopefully you get better soon, man. It seems like the casino, like dirty chip disease is like the worst. Yeah. Pro AP tip, wash your hand every time you're in the bathroom, every single time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every, every AP has gotten the uh, casino virus <laughs> or some, some casino virus. Well, that's enough about viruses. Let's get into your, your backstory, Fez. How did you get into advantage play? You know, what's funny, uh, me and my friend, one of my best friends, we took a trip to Vegas with his father and uh, we got put up in a pretty nice suite in the Cosmo. And and I had I'd only been to Vegas once or twice before that, and I had never gambled in Vegas. And so that was our first time in Vegas. You know, we brought a couple thousand dollars and we found out that there's this basic strategy thing. And so, you know, the first day we're, we're just grinding it out, trying to learn, you know, by the first day, we think we totally have it down. So we go and we're like, let's go hit the Cosmo high limit tables. And uh, it turns out that the Cosmo high limit tables are, are $300 minimum shoe games. And uh, fortunately, those do pay three to two. But we just went out there and we started playing. And uh, thankfully, we won our first few hands. So we had a couple thousand dollars to play with within about 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, a couple of Patron shots later, we were feeling pretty good. And uh, we played for, you know, about an hour. And then we went up to the room and we just couldn't believe it that we, you know, we had these thousand dollar chips. We probably had a few of them each. And it was just unbelievable. So that, that was kind of my first introduction to blackjack at the time. That's what the casino wants. They want you to win that first time. And then you're hooked. It's a hook for sure. So that was basic strategy. What happened from there? Well, from there, we both went home with money in our pockets, actually. I remember making like $2,200 after it was all said and done, which, you know, at the time was a ton of money for me. And I was just like, wow, this is this is really crazy. And, you know, and then we we got introduced to counting when we went on YouTube and we looked up blackjack videos on how to count cards, you know, and, and what's past basic strategy. And then we found blackjack apprenticeship. And, you know, we watched some of your videos and, and then we really mastered basic strategy from there, you know, after some training and progressed to counting and, you know, you kind of make the building blocks go from there. And uh, that's about how everything started. That's the roots of it all. So you're working full time during this. I was running my own small business at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. So that can mean that you're working more than 40 hours a week, or it could mean that you got a lot of flexibility. Definitely less than 40 hours a week. It was completely remote and I, I practically picked my own hours. So it, it was a direct to consumer sales in essence. And so how serious were you taking advantage play at that point? 
fully part-time, maybe get in 30 hours a month kind of thing at its best, maybe 40 or 50, but still part-time in my opinion. I don't think you're full-time until you're playing, you know, close to the threshold of a hundred hours a month. Did you have any goal at that point or was it just like, oh, this is fun and crazy and I made a couple grand. Let's see if I can make a couple more. Fun and crazy, you know, definitely looking at the long run of things. But with that said, bankroll management wasn't fully developed at that point. So definitely overbetting, you know, as as I'm sure you've experienced in the past, based on hearing your story. Fortunately, positive variance came in to help me out and I had a pretty good start to my career. But uh, I transitioned into full time later on, for sure. I was part time for, you know, over half a year. And then did you have access to a lot of local games? Yes, I, I had very, very good local games, but they weren't they weren't necessarily close per se. Right. So I'm driving hour and a half, two hours to go play. But they're very, very worthwhile games. Well, first of all, were you still playing three hundred dollar minimums or? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I was always green shipping though. I, I never did the red shipping thing. I was always playing green. Okay. And um, you said you were over betting. Like when you started up again, was it kind of like, did you see the results in the software and you were like, oh, I'm going to accept the higher risk or did you not use software at that point? I was using the software at that point and I had a dedicated amount of money to blackjack. Let's call it 20K with more equity behind. And so I was over betting the initial 20,000, but I had additional equity behind if I were to bust that money, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you recall like kind of what percent maybe it was at at the time? Like, was it really like one game? I specifically remember I was betting on a single deck game, a thousand dollar one spot, which obviously $20,000 cannot tolerate. So, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, within the first hundred hours, you're still kind of learning bankroll and risk management to some degree. So, yeah. Yeah, I just keep thinking of the the other fezes that would have tapped out. I guess if you did have access to more funds, then you know it maybe it would have taken that and and you would have been okay. But the casino is tolerating thousand dollar bets from you. I will say that that back off came within ten minutes. Okay, they were they were not. That was a pretty quick back off, and I and I believe I was fired in that local market. Oh no, yeah, I, I would say on average, you know, starting up. A good top bet would probably be, you know, two by two fifty, which is still over leveraged for that bankroll. But you know, I, if you were to plug that in, that's probably five or six percent on on a good double deck game. I would assume. Okay, so you're playing around five percent risk of ruin, but with access to more money. So you, even if you hit a downswing, you could have could have gotten more. Yeah, and, and fortunately, I I never busted it out. I, I pretty much just went straight up initially for the most part. And like, did you test out with anyone or how did you know that your, your game was solid? I did not, but I, I did do training on the, the blackjack apprenticeship platform. Of course, you know, I made sure I knew how to keep my running count. Obviously, uh, you know, you can run down a, a single deck and then if, if you don't get to zero, you did something wrong. So I did that a bunch and then, and then really just kind of, uh, learning by experience, because I think playing in a casino is a lot, lot different than being tested out. So I kind of just went out there and I, I put myself in the market and, you know, I just, I built my skills around that, around playing really. And what was the, the move to go full time? How long was this that you were playing? You know, I think you said about 30 hours a month, something like that. Yeah, I did that for a good uh, six, seven months. And then I stumbled upon a, a completely different job. And I have a background in motorsports. I, I've been involved in motorsports for over 10 years. 
And I got this opportunity to go work for, uh, let's call it a tire company, right? And they do all this testing on ice. So I went out in the mountains and I was working at this, uh, let's call it like an automobile ice racing institution. And I was doing that for, you know, a couple months up in the mountains. And I had access to a new local market that was, you know, let's call it two and a half hours away. And uh, within maybe a, a month and a half of playing that market part time and working, I had stumbled upon something amazing. And that led me to quitting my job full time and uh, going to pursue this opportunity down at, at my local market for what turned into be the next uh, six or seven months straight. Wow. So you came across a valuable AP opportunity and it was like, let's go full time. Yeah, I quit my job the next week. I slightly transitioned to part-time, but I never went in for another shift. So I pretty much quit my job that next week. Were you still running your own small business then? That had gone to a much lower volume, which which now is in non-existence, but it was in the the mature stage of the business. So let's put it that way, right? Okay. Decline, yeah. So just all income from advantage play, but not just counting you you had a, a more valuable opportunity as well. Yeah, that is correct. When you uh, found like whatever game it was, was it just like, did you play it for a little bit and then started seeing the profits quickly? And then you're like, okay, now I'll quit my job. Or was it just like you found this one game at this one place and it looks so good. I'm just going to go for it. Like, how was that whole? I remember finding it and it was a Friday and I had, I had worked that week and I just got down to the town, you know, after, you know, a long drive. The first night I went up thousands of dollars on this game and it was, it was just unbelievable. It was the the second biggest career win I'd had, but you know, in terms of time it took to get that win, it was just immediate, you know, it happened all within an hour and a half. And so I, I, you know, I kind of saw the bigger vision. I saw that maybe this game wouldn't get me kicked out nearly as quickly. And I was like, okay, I have to dedicate enough time to this game to be here at the proper times to be able to play this game when I need to. And uh, yeah, so I, I just quit. I, ha- I had enough money saved up, though. I will say at the time I had kind of what I consider, you know, the minimum requirement for a professional bankroll to go full time. I, I had that in my mind. I had it set. And, uh, you know, even still with a little bit of additional equity behind. And, and that's when I made the transition to full time. And we we talked before we started recording that we're not going to disclose this uh, AP opportunity. So if you're a BJ member, don't blow up his private messages saying, "Tell tell me your, <laughs> tell me the game, tell me where it is." But what I want to ask is, did you have to spend a lot of time training for for this opportunity, or was it more just through experience in the casino? Well, first and foremost, to address the first point, the game is is now long gone. So yeah, don't don't pull up my private messages, please. It is <laughs> it is in non-existence. And, and secondly, to address the, the other point, I spent a good amount of time prepping. Now, the game as it plays makes sense from a pretty fundamental standpoint, right? You can you can figure it out pretty easily. But with that said, there is always one correct playing decision. So yes. I, I did spend a, a lot of time training, but the the training, you know, was in line with playing, right? It wasn't tangential. I was I was playing as I was training. So I wasn't just not playing the game to to train. I was doing it, you know, training during the week, and then I would play the game on, you know, the weekends. Right on. Nice. Did you um have to learn a whole new way? Like when you started to calculate how much it was worth, 
was there any like thoughts into like how do I make this last longer or, or were you just able to play max and they didn't care? Oh, absolutely. Well, the the max at this table is going to be $10,000. So I could not play the max. (laughs) But I was I was very much so looking to optimize this game because it was somewhere that was close enough that made sense. And I and I like the market. So I I 100% tried to optimize it. But my biggest regret on that game was not playing rated. I will say I I wish I played rated on that game because I played it for, for months on end, I put down a lot of action on that game, completely unrated. So, yeah, usually it's like if I'm at a game for like that long, it's like you might as well be rated because you're there for so long and they're going to know who you are eventually because you're going to amass so much probably. But it's like, yeah, like what was it awkward to just always go in there unrated for like hours and hours and hours for months at a time? So this is something that I... uh I struggled with a lot in my head and I, I talked to SD one about extensively is, is should I just be playing rated at this point? I haven't been playing rated for so long. Should I start now? And uh, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Um, And yes, at times it felt a little bit weird, but I forced it to not be weird. Right? Like I, I, I made a very clear reason as to why I'm not playing with a cart. And I think that's what you have to do. You have to take a firm stance because one of my biggest pet peeves is the, is the pit boss who's constantly, hey, do you want a card? Hey, do you want a card? Hey, do you want a card? So I just, I take a very firm stance. Either I'm playing rated or I'm not. And, you know, I, I talked to SD1 about that extensively, like I said, and I just decided to not play rated on that play. And that that was the decision I made and I stuck to it. Did the game end because of you or did it end on its own? So the game ended because... They thought they figured something out that they completely did not figure out. And so then I proceeded to roll somebody else to go play the game for me. And then, you know, a couple sessions later, then they really figured out what was happening. And then the game was over. Cool. So the approach was like you played as many hours as you could on the weekends and then gave it a break during the week. And you just kind of hammered it every weekend for about six months. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty much right. Yeah. And then where did you go from there? Well, from there, my travel availability kind of opened up because I didn't have to be at one place every single weekend. And so I started playing, you know, a couple of different markets. I took a pretty big road trip, you know, like a 2000 mile road trip uh, just a couple months ago. I, I've still, believe it or not, been playing the same market. Um, I'm still getting hours in just at different shops. Um, so I'm still playing here, traveling a lot. Like I told you, I just got back from a back to back trip, inclusive of probably 1500 miles driven. You know, so I'm kind of everywhere for the most part. I'm always trying to network and, you know, learn which markets to be playing in, learn which markets to maybe avoid and, you know, trade information as as I meet new people. Are you focusing on one AP play or or do you have pretty diverse skill set at this point? Pretty diverse, but I will say the, the power of blackjack at a high level is is amazing. And and I've I've played my my fair share of casino games. I've played just about any any casino game you could think of, you know, uh, less some of the carnival ones, right? But the power of blackjack is amazing. So that is really what I'm focused on at the at the moment. Um, going back to the rated thing real quick, did you already have a record like in the databases before? Because that probably could have played a factor in your decision. It was playing a factor in my decision, and and I checked the databases to see if I was in there or I had somebody check for me, and I, I didn't pop up in in the market that I was in. And I didn't pop up in the big one either, but I'm fully convinced I'm in there just as an unnamed player, right? Because that could have been a thing where it's like, even if you just have like a few entries or something, 
And then this unknown guy comes in and let's say he's up like 15 grand one night just randomly. So then they just check, you know, people's names and everything when they're up a certain amount. And then they could have seen your record and then been like, oh, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe that six months would have been cut down to like a couple of weeks or something possibly. Yeah, it, it was definitely always in the back of my mind and probably the primary reason as to why I didn't play rated. And for the most part, why I wouldn't play rated on your average play is because of that, because you never know when they're going to find your name. Yeah, it's it's easy to think back and say, well, I should have played rated. But yeah, who knows? Who knows what it would have happened if you it's just there's so much guessing it. You, you never know the right decision. You just try to like like everything else, just make a positive EV decision and and live with it. Yes. Uh, one last question about this, and then we'll move on. <laughs> when you were there for six months, did you end up renting like a place long term, or did you just do like Airbnbs every single night? So I've been sleeping on my friend's couch for the last eleven months, nine months, ten months. I've, I'm still here. I'm currently in our lobby, um, and uh, yeah, I have pretty cheap rent, as you can imagine. And we live in a a one bedroom apartment currently with a dog, a girl my friend and me. So a, a big thanks to them. How about that? Yeah. My buddy crashed on our couch for six months when, when, uh, my wife and I were newlyweds, he got, he got kicked out by a girlfriend and and we're like, Oh, you know, come get back on your feet. Six months later, he's still on the couch. Is it a comfortable couch? It is a very comfortable couch. I will say it is, it is a massive couch. And, and, you know, I keep thinking that Tomorrow is going to be the day that I'm finally sleeping on a bed, but they keep letting me play. So how how can I leave, you know? And where's the dog sleep? Dog sleeps on their bed. Okay. I was wondering. Yeah. Because <laughs> you and a dog on the couch, that could get a little bit of a tight fit. Uh, thankfully, I think they have a pretty big bed. So, you know, everything kind of works out. And I, I play a lot of blackjack, so I'm not there all too often. But, you know, when I'm not in a hotel room, I'm I'm on their couch. <laughs> right on. So you have a story of something that that went down at a California card room. Can you share that with us? Yeah, I do. It was uh, it was the first time I had actually encountered a specific kind of countermeasure that at the time I didn't even know existed. It's a uh, in essence where they they cap the aggregate table payout per round. And so basically, what they what they did is the pit came up to me and he said, "Hey, we're gonna cap each round at five hundred dollar payout." And I said, okay, you know, kind of not kind of, you know, put it in the back of my mind, not really understanding what it was thinking if, uh, if we got to that point in time, they'd have to pay me out, right? Because I'm putting down the action. And so I I definitely toned down what I was betting to mitigate the risk that I would get to over $500. But I was still over betting for the aggregate $500 payout. So I ended up in a situation where I had a double down after a split, right, which led me to $600 in action on the table. It was three $200 bets and the dealer busted, right? So $600 coming my way and she gives me a $500 chip. And I was like, where's my extra $100? She goes, no, like you're getting $500. And I said, okay, so everybody stop. I made everybody stop the game, right? And I called the pit over and I had him explain what was happening. And he he said the same thing. He said, I'm only going to pay you out $500. And so I went to pull out my phone and I took a picture of the table so I could send it to gaming, right? Because I thought this was something that they couldn't do. And he and he went to slap my phone out of my hand. And 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 keep in mind, I'm I'm stuck about you know nine nine thousand dollars at this point, and and I'm in the middle of a very positive shoe. 
And so the last thing I want is to get actually kicked out of this building. So I kind of, I went to immediately to de-escalating, put my phone back in my pocket. I said, it's fine. Sorry. I didn't know you can't take pictures. And, and I ended up wrapping up the session and I actually got even with the $500 table cap. What did you at that point, like, I, I'm kind of wondering what is the right bets? You know, I know with basic strategy, you, you always want to have six bets to back it up, but I guess it depends if you're counting, it's such a small edge. You, you just got to be able to play basic strategy. I'm just wondering. Probably $50. Yeah. yeah. Maybe $50. Maybe 75 Yeah, maybe 75 Yeah, and then only one spot of that. Because if you do it twice, you could have two splits on both sides, four times each. Like. Well, what was interesting, too, is I proceeded to a different table later on in the night. And... So this the, the rule followed me in essence, right? It, it didn't stay with the table. So wherever I went, the aggregate payout was capped. And so I went to the next table and the dealer and the pit would have to explain this to any player at my table, right? I'm sure that's part of their procedure. And so they're explaining it to these people like, hey, like if you win lucky, lucky, like we probably can't pay you. Like they have some crazy system on who gets paid. It has to do with the bottom card and then they draw and then they go around the table so this lady, she actually won Lucky Lucky for uh, like one of the big, I think she got a suited six, seven, eight. Like it was a huge one on a $10 bet. It paid a thousand. And so, um, yeah, they, they paid her out $500 and the dealer busted on that hand and nobody else got paid at the table. No way. What? Oh, so the whole table. That is correct. So, Whoa. so she out on $500 and nobody else got paid out on their base bets. Wow. I, I'm what? shocked that that's legal. Yeah, how is that legal? I reached out to gaming and I explained the situation to them. It took them, you know, weeks to get back to me. You know, after a month, the gaming agent finally got back in touch with me and I explained the situation and he said, okay, yeah, let me, let me look into it. And it's been now two and a half months, three months. No way. Nothing. Yeah. Because when you place a bet, you're making a contract based on the rules. That was my understanding. Now the aggregate payout thing is is where it gets weird because I'm I'm I was well, I wasn't able to come to a conclusion of if that's valid or not. That's crazy. Yeah, I please follow up. I want to know. I will absolutely. I mean, that is I don't see how that's not just theft. Like it's. Would well, you like totally... to know the best part about that all is it actually wonged out as that all happened. I was sitting at the table, but I had no cards in front of me. I was just sitting in a chair. Man. Yep. Wow. So at least you didn't get screwed on that hand, but you got screwed on the other one. On the way out, I told the I told the pit boss that he should give me a raise because I saved him five hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear from a lawyer if that's legal. Maybe I'll send this clip to uh Bobner session and, and see what he said. I know he doesn't practice in California, but he's gotta know know the law. I, I have a feeling that Bob's not going to be very happy with that one. I tried to actually get in touch with him uh, to explain the situation, but I, I was never able to get a hold of him. Yeah, that's crazy. Joe, did you have a similar story? Yeah, but this is yours is way worse. Like the, it's it's so much worse. Like mine was similar, but it was a little bit different. Where it's like you know I was playing, I was in the middle of like a really long double down and split hand, thousand dollars on each bet, and then like. I went to go like buy in to split more and then the manager came up and like stopped and they're like, you can't split you anymore. And then I tried to double after and then it was like, you can't double that. Like he was just changing the rules mid game. 
or mid round. So then the hand played out. I lost every single hand. It was like six or seven grand. And then um, I went to call gaming. This was in Vegas at Palms at the time. And then uh, I went to call gaming. Gaming came over and pretty quickly they like Palm sent me a check in the mail. So they they definitely like recognized what they did was wrong. You can't just change the rules in the middle of the round. He would have been in the clear if he changed the rules right before the first card came out. Yep. But because I had already put down my bet, I had already split once. Like they, I was, you know, that's the, when he changed everything. It's like, that's like the same as like you deal the hand, you get a blackjack, yep. and then he runs up to the table and goes, actually, it's six to five now, not three to two. There's like no difference. Yeah. Uh, is how I explained it to the gaming agent. But this one is so much worse because it's like, they're just robbing spot like winnings from people. Like they'll take all the losses. How come there's not a $500 aggregate loss? Like, so they could bring in a thousand on the table if they wanted to, but only pay out 500. Like when they lose like, as much as you want, but they will only pay out $500 at any given round. That can't be right. Yeah, man. Are you, you're not still playing there. I am not. I'm not currently in that state, but they they went further to increase the countermeasure and they actually dropped the aggregate payout to $100 before I left. So so they were they were actually fluctuating on what threshold they wanted the table to pay out at. Jeez. Yeah, I want to I want a lawyer to look into this. this. That just seems that seems insane. We had I've had the issue Joe mentioned before. We were doing a team play thing in Vegas and the cards started to get dealt and then the pit boss is like pushes bet back. And it was like, nope, the card, you know, had to argue with him about it, but he did let the hand play out because cards that started to be dealt, you know, couldn't, couldn't do anything at that point. Didn't have to fight him. But I wonder, Joe, I wonder if you would have won with the, if you were able to keep splitting, you know, uh, yeah. there's no way of knowing, but I mean, I'm glad you got your bets back, but imagine if, I mean, whatever it's the, the EV is what matters, but I can't help but wonder if you would have been able to split and double down properly. You know, it could have been like a, if you lost eight grand, well, what if the dealer would have busted? It could have been like a $16,000 swing or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you left that place. I did. You went to a more legit establishment. Yeah, I felt I felt pretty <laughs> wronged uh, in the moment, though. So I, I made an effort to actually go back with a couple different disguises. And I got, you know, probably another 10 hours in and I got a good chunk of change from them. Nice. It, it felt pretty good because... I'll bet. I don't like feeling wronged in this game. There's there's one thing about, you know, being pushed around or, you know, trying somebody trying to intimidate you, but that feels like stealing to me and that just isn't right. Seriously, you know, and it's uh they treat us like criminals. I still get it all the time where people are like, "So, it's illegal, but why is that?" And I'm like, "No, it's not illegal what we do." You know, that that's still what more people think than that casinos cheat people. Yet you know, you're you're playing a game straight up and they're changing the rules on you, changing the payouts, not just you, the whole table. That's wild. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy for sure. Yeah. Stealing from other patrons to screw you over when you're already down nine grand. It's <laughs> like, what? It, feel, it feels like a story from the 60s. Yeah. Just not yeah. right. You know, thankfully, no physical force or anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably about the only thing worse than what I'm describing, but it definitely is not right. <laughs> well, on that uh, sour note, I mean, have you had anything similar to that? Anything like any other kind of mistreatment at all? You know, I, absolutely. There's there's always casinos mistreating 
APs. It's not just specific to me. I think somebody experiences it every day, but I want to make it clear that it's definitely not how it used to be, right? People actually used to get hurt over this game. And for the most part here in this country, very thankfully so, that is not the case anymore. Have I been bumped into by security guards? Absolutely. Or, you know, I'm I'm relatively young, so they think they can intimidate me, but that's just really not the case anymore. You know, the elevator rides when you are with, you know, four security guards, the head of security, those are not comfortable, but I've learned to accept them. I try and do my best to not encounter them anymore and just put myself in a position where I'm able to just walk right out the front door. I don't I don't care if you follow me. I'm not parked on your property, but I have been put in some pretty un- uncomfortable positions. Probably the worst time was when I was actually followed off property um, in the middle of the night for about five miles before I lost whoever it was behind me. Yeah, they were following me in a Ford F-150 and I uh, I had pulled over on the side of the road and they stopped dead in the road and just waited for me what? to go. And as soon as I started going, they started going. Yeah. And so I had to I had to shake him on that back road and then I got on the highway and never saw him again. But definitely some stuff, you know, to make you uncomfortable with uh, large amounts of money on you. Were you playing like really big right before you left at the table or something? Or Absolutely. Yeah, I was playing uh, table minimum to table maximum. Yeah, that was in the back of my mind that maybe it was a casino security and it was a tribal, which never makes you feel too comfortable. So. No follow-up on that. I've been back to the property a handful of times. They still let me play. Never been followed after that. But that one night, definitely, when I got home and told my mother, she did not want me playing uh, blackjack for a while. <laughs> you've put out some pretty big top bets. What's the most you've you've bet? Well, I'll tell you about the worst hand of blackjack I ever played. It was splitting eights four times with a double down on the first hand, and I lost thirteen thousand dollars in one round of blackjack the biggest singular bet is probably five thousand dollars on a single deck game do you remember what the dealer had up on that eight split on the eight split yeah i absolutely do it was a four and she went ace four or five to beat every single one of my <sighs> yeah <laughs> i hate saying that hand <laughs> yeah no good how do you avoid ctrs and id checks if you're if you're betting that kind of action uh, that's just, that's going to be impossible. Yeah. At that kind of action, it's simply impossible. I just, I pick and choose my battles, right? It's not always that you'll find a game that has a $5,000, let alone $10,000 limit. So when I find those games and I kind of feel them out and see that they do have a tolerance for my action, I will push them and I will see how much can I lay down. But at that point, I'm playing rated regardless. If I don't want to play rated, I won't bet what I just described, right? I'll cap it at five or $600. And then before I get to 10K, if I don't want to do the whole rated thing, I'll just leave. That's typically how I play it. Yeah. So we were supposed to record the podcast with you a few days ago, but your blackjack trip kept getting extended. So we were happy to uh, extend it, especially because you're, you're doing like well hours wise. So like, yeah, how was the last trip you just went on? It was an emotional roller coaster to say the least. The the first half of it was really, really good for sure in the first state. And then as I headed to the second state, we found ourselves, I was with another individual who's also an AP and, and one of my best friends. And we found ourselves at a casino where I actually got a private table. So every every round was heads up the entire time. And I, I pretty much instantly just deleted like $55,000 and 
pretty quickly almost ran out of money because that was not what I was expecting to happen. That was about two and a half standard deviations. It was a pretty, pretty big swing to the downside, but I uh, thankfully had my friend with me and at about 3 a.m. after a I, I must have been 29 hours into that session straight food. I went up to the room and I borrowed $10,000 from him. And over the next 50 hours and three days, I turned that into well over 80. So I had a good trip in summary, but there was a, there was some down, down swings for sure. Did you get some sleep somewhere in there? I did. Yes. After the first session, which lasted a total of 33 hours, I went to bed for about 10 hours in the middle of the day. And then I, I woke up to play the same exact game for another 16, 17 hours straight, went back to bed. And then the last day, I think I wrapped up with a little eight hour session. Wow. Holy cow. A 29 hour session. Yeah. Let's get into that real quick. Wow. What, what was the minimum you were playing to get that private table? That, that was a, a black chip minimum. Okay. I assume everyone around you was like, like, was it all red shippers in the room, basically? I was I was in a private high limit room. So it was it was going to be everybody was black chipping and there was actually going to be a lot of yellow action. So all the Baccarat tables, $50,000 action. So, you know, to some degree, I'm kind of uh, flying under the radar. Wow, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I my, my base bet, you know, is, is higher than the table minimum. Uh, it's, it's a really good game. So I'm able to tighten up and. You know, I convinced them that I wasn't doing what I was and got in just a, a ton of hours, almost actually got to pretty close to the long run of the game in about five days. Wow. So I think the longest day of blackjack I ever played was 14 hours, but I took a few breaks in there. Now, I just can't even imagine playing 29 hours straight. How like, are you just chugging Red Bulls or like, what is your mental state? So I actually, I don't drink caffeine and it was actually 33 hours straight that I played. I didn't eat any food. I just kind of shut off my stomach. The only breaks that were in there would have been bathroom breaks, which which are relatively often because when, when you don't eat for that many hours, you have to keep up on your water, you know, drink some pineapple juice or something to make sure that you, your blood sugar is okay. But I really do take to heart the fact that when they're letting you play, you should be playing and I'm you know, in that state for a very limited amount of time, and I won't be back there for a while. And so I just, I tend to take full advantage of those opportunities and sacrifice some other things that might be important in my life and put them, you know, to the back for a little bit. Do you feel like you could still play well hour 30? Absolutely. It was, it was funny because uh, at hour 28, I remember having the thought that I am, I am playing better than I was at hour three. I was, I was, I was completely locked in. It just it feels like you kind of become one with the cards at some point. Yeah, I don't know if I could, but that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I definitely played my uh, fair share of marathon sessions. I mean, that wasn't the first time I've done a 20 plus hour session. I played for 22 hours straight. I played for 18 hours straight. And these are all inclusive of, of no breaks other than the bathroom, which I'm always using when they're shuffling, right? I'm wasting time to get my rounds in. Do you know how much like, EV you, you were generating for that 29-hour set or 30-hour session or whatever? Yeah, a lot of rounds per hour. So it was it was well over 500 an hour for sure. Nice. And um, when you first went into that place, did you have a history with this place beforehand? and then, Or did you just kind of build when you got there, kind of 
show off who you were real quick and then got a private table? I had been there once before um, and I had a card there and I had gotten pretty deep before I, I had filled out a CTR there before, but I hadn't been there in months. So I kind of had to reestablish myself and uh, took me a little bit to get the private table. I was on the main floor for maybe an hour, but once they saw the action, they pretty quickly escort you into the high limit room, especially based on the fact that, you know, the main floor has a $500 limit and the high limit room is going to be one of the only places in that state that actually has a thousand dollar limit. So they think you're a losing player, you know, they'll pretty quickly escort you in there. Okay. So you were doing like two by a thousand or something? Always one spot when I'm heads up. So. Okay. And do you feel like you get less heat playing one spot? Absolutely. Undeniably. And, and when I do swing two spots, I, I tend to always play two spots. I'm not very fond on going one to two and back down two to one. Which uh, heads up is absolutely preferable. Stick to one spot or stick to two spots. Yeah, I, I will say I've put a, a lot of emphasis on rounds per hour, not only as of late, but within the last year. I've really, really been focused on that. Above pretty much anything, that's uh, pretty much my highest priority. I'm, I'm going to need the three to two blackjack, but rounds per hour is so critical. What happened at the end of the uh, session? Like, did you just leave on your own accord or did you get back to off? Or? No, no, I just I just ended up leaving on my own accord. I, I went to the cage with 80,000. I made about seven different people like run around um, and then and then they cashed me out and I left. Um, now, what happens when I go back after cashing that many chocolates? I don't know, but I didn't want to leave with chocolates. So I kind of just did it and we'll find out what happens in a month. Wow. That's awesome. Is there anything you've worked on just as far as your act to blend in as a gambler? Oh, absolutely. That you can share with us? Yeah, I I don't wear hats in casinos anymore. It's going to be very rare that you find me wearing a hat. I pretty much always have a drink in front of me. That is a commonality. And I try and avoid the waters. I drink water on my own accord and have a a juice in front of me. And I, I tend to seem pretty anxious and disorganized that's kind of the route i go for and i'm outspoken when i'm winning and i'm depressed when i'm losing so i mean in essence i've picked up on all the degeneracy in casinos and i just try and emulate that nice um on this trip you went on like did you go to this place first just because it was like the biggest max in in the state or was it just some other factor like did was there any planning going on there my friend who I had mentioned earlier, who I was traveling with, he had been kicked out a couple different times and it was all on weekends. And so we decided to go try a weekday and I figured there's no issue with that. And I had a uh, room comps. And so I, I went and booked us a room and then, you know, the one day trip turned into me sticking around there for even longer than he did. <laughs> what do you think the future looks like for you? Do you want to stick with AP long term or, or are you starting to get sick of it yet? Or how long have you been full time? I've been full-time for, uh, we're coming up on a year, actually. It's going to be a year and probably a couple of weeks. This is uh, right around when I found that game last year. Yeah, so how are you feeling about it after a year? You know, I feel I feel different about it every day, but I am very thankful for it as a whole. I think that doing it full-time is very different than doing it part-time, and it it gets to you in different ways. You know, I, fi- I find myself sacrificing a lot of the things in my life that maybe I care about or, uh, or, you know, just fun to do, you know, you just, just simple pleasures that you take for granted when you don't always have somewhere to be. It just makes your life a, a little more disorganized in some fashions, but it, it definitely makes it more interesting, which is why I, 
I still continue to do it and I don't see myself stopping in the foreseeable future, but I definitely want to expand, uh, you know, my portfolio of plays. I've been, I've been listening to a lot of the podcasts that you've been putting out as of lately, and you've had a couple sports bettors on. I just actually listened to one on the airplane yesterday and, uh, sports betting is peaking my interest for sure. So I might look into that in the, in the near future. But other than that, I'm just going to keep grinding away blackjack and, and trying to visit some new states because, believe it or not, I actually haven't been to a lot of states uh, to play blackjack. I've been pretty hyper-focused on a few different states, and that's about it. Was there uh, anything like super unique about this one game, or was it just a pretty standard blackjack game that you were playing the really long session at? It's going to be pretty standard with uh, incredible rules. And and the fact that I was able to get a reserve table where nobody could sit down is is going to be the real key factor there because my RPH was at about probably a realistically 170. It is a hand shuffle, but I mean, I, I play pretty, pretty fast. And, and, you know, heads up, it just flies. It really does. One hand should be more like 250 uh, if you're playing one spot. I wouldn't be surprised. But... uh Anyway, it's I'm sure it's I'm sure it's good. That is that is even better than I thought. That is amazing. So maybe you ran under even. It's very possible. I'm actually fully convinced that I probably did with the number of hours that I played and that downswing that I took. I probably should be a little bit higher, but Wong's number is two forty eight for Atlantic City. Um, and I think those were hand shuffles for, for one spot. So, you know, if there's no side bets or anything slowing it down. Yeah, you can you can get in a lot of a lot of hands. Bounty was there, so I'm I'm sure you guys know that that's a play at a certain threshold. So I was, I was leveraging that. I did get a couple of nineteen to ones or anything, but nice. uh-huh. I didn't get the twenty five thousand, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never hit that. Joe's hit that. Yeah, I hit the the biggest one, and then I hit the one right underneath the same month, I think. Oh, geez. Do you ever play like $500 max places or $300 max places or ju- are you just focusing on the like higher max ones first? Oh, absolutely. I will pay I will play $500 and 300 maxes very frequently. I will just spread to, you know, 3 by table max is is what I end up doing and and you'd be surprised the amount of places that will tolerate that when you make your story believable. Yeah. So like here's a question for I think a lot of people probably have this question because we were talking about it earlier but like so you know, playing heads up, doing the one spot is better if you're at for the thousand dollar max or whatever. So, so let's say you're at the five hundred dollar max place. I mean, is it still better to do two by five hundred, Colin? Yeah, I think it is. You're getting more total action, but it slows the game down a little bit, and you're eating up more cards to do it, which inflates the number of rounds you play at a disadvantage. Um, so it's like kind of the ratio of disadvantage hands to advantage hands gets a little skewed that, you know, <laughs> well, thanks for prepping this. I, I was telling the guys before we were recording, I'm, I'm running simulations in, in the background that I started them last night and they're still going, but, uh, I'm hoping by the time this podcast is live, we have the new version of ProBank software, uh, live, which is, you can simulate any of it, whether it's, you know, spreading to two spots at different whatever true count you want and it'll actually simulate it not just approximate it so we'll have you can actually look into it yourself hopefully by the time this podcast is out but there is that is an issue is is when you go from one to two spots heads up i mean this is the case with other players too it's just kind of diminished if you're going from four spots to five spots it's not really affecting the ratio that much but if you know meaning other players at the table 
if it's like you and a couple other players, you know, adding an extra spot doesn't really change the ratio of rounds very much uh, when you add that extra spot, but it does if you're heads up. Um, so that's why it's, it's better to generally just stick with one or stick with two. But if you're getting capped by the table max, I'm pretty sure it's worth it to get that extra money out there, but, but we'll be able to play around with it in the bank software, uh, soon enough. Yeah. That's something I I've always wondered about. So I'm, I'm super happy that you guys are working on that on the back end. We've been working on it for forever. It's just, uh, you know, we're not a software development company though. We're kind of becoming that a little bit. Awesome. So what's some of the biggest pieces of info you wish you had before getting started in blackjack and advantage play? I mean, just to circle back to the rounds per hour thing. I mean, I used to play a a whole lot of double deck pitch, you know, three or four other people at the table because it's a $15, $25 table and and your rounds per hour just absolutely creep, even not including side bets. You're just crawling along. I mean, it's going to take you forever to get to the long run. So you know, I've kind of changed my focus um, from games like that to higher limit games for sure. I mean, that's kind of a given. But other than that, shoe games are are incredibly powerful. And I think there's a, a reason a lot of the pros are playing shoe games. And it probably circles back to the fact that, you know, 90% of your shoe games are going to have an auto shuffle machine um, to get those cards out way faster, get the next shoe out and just get playing these rounds to get to the long run. So I, I wish I fully understood the importance of rounds per hour and and bankroll management those are probably two of the most important things in this career yeah just pitch pitch is so slow and and there are benefits but you're right that definitely the disadvantage to a pitch double that game is the rounds per hour are going to be a fraction of what you can get um heads up playing a shoe game yeah 100 percent. and it just it just feels not worth it to me at this point in time i would i would just rather play a six deck with good penetration even if you give me the right penetration on an eight deck i'll gladly play that game too so yeah we played a ton of eight deck with a deck cut off back in the day and and gladly just you know cranked through it yeah i mean you encounter a lot of a lot of high counts with you know one pen on an eight deck you'll 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 just encounter them because there's so many cards you're playing through you went from you know playing this like high ev mystery game that you found or whatever and that that went really well and i assume it was probably less variance than card counting it felt like more variance at the time but i think that was simply because the action that i was putting down was bigger and more consistent than the action i was putting down on other games if i were to go play other games simply because my risk was pretty mitigated and the ev was pretty high and unfortunately in the last you know couple months of that game I absolutely tanked and pretty much came back down to almost a break even for a while and then ended up only a little bit up on that game after about six months of playing it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, when you find an opportunity, like I've I've come across some games with an edge off the top, you're always betting big. And so, yeah, you get to the long run faster, but when you're every hand betting big, the variance is just pretty massive in you know those swings and the variance. Yeah, it could be pretty monstrous at times, for sure, because like you said, there is uh, very little fluctuations in your bet, and it's not like you're going to be betting small every time, so that leads to betting big every time. So (laughs) the swings will come in uh, pretty heavy. What's been the most difficult part about advantage play? Probably just, I mean, with full-time, it has to be the sacrifices I've made to play this game at a high level so frequently. I mean, you know, I've only been doing this for 
just over a year and a half and I'm I'm well over a thousand hours now. So I, I've played this game a lot and I've, I've given up a lot to be able to play this game. And so, yeah, I'm looking to maybe find a little bit more balance. Uh, that's probably been the hardest thing is, you know, eating right, sleeping right, just, you know, kind of finding a, a schedule that you can follow because everything is so up in the air all the time that it seems like your schedule is variable on any any given day, right? Yeah, I think for people that want to be lifers, they're going to have to find a way to to find that balance. I just thought of this analogy, you know, I, I love football and you see these guys that are offensive linemen and for, you know, five years, 10 years, maybe they play 15 years. They basically have, have to choose to eat a way that's not sustainable for their life. You know, uh, some of these guys are like, I remember reading stories of guys that set an alarm to wake up in the middle of the night to eat a 2000 calorie shake. It, but then on top of that, the sleep, you know, it's like long days and what they're what they're going through. And then these guys retire and they drop, you know, 75 pounds and, you know, they're sleeping right and whatever. But it's just not something they could do forever, but they can do it for, you know, 5, 10, maybe 15 years. Imagine if you were trying to do that for a lifetime, it would just the, the wear and tear mentally, physically, emotionally. So the people that do it for a lifetime, you just I imagine have to find a way to do it that that's going to work long term as far as that that balance. Life in the long run is is all about balance, right? I mean, you don't want to dump your energy into, into one thing, especially if it's if it's card counting. You can't that's not sustainable, right? You're going to miss so much in life. And so I'm I'm just using AP as a vehicle for the time but I, I will always do it for sure, but I won't always do it at this level. And so I'm, I'm I'm going as hard as I can right now. And at some point that will taper off into something more sustainable. Right on. Do you want to start another business down the road or just put, put money into investments or? Absolutely. At my, at my core, I'm an entrepreneur. So I would, I, I see myself starting another business in the future. 100%. Right on. Yeah. Keep me posted. I want to, I want to know where you end up when, whenever that is. I know like burning down the house, he's, he's just been like a maniac playing, but he's got a specific goal and, you know, he's putting it into real estate. And so that makes me excited because, you know, the people that go at that pace for multiple years, I think we've seen it just be unhealthy for, for some people. So, uh, yeah, I want to see what you do next. Yeah, absolutely. I will, I will keep you in the loop. Awesome. Joe, you have any, any final questions or, or is there anything Fez you want to just share with people, anything else that, that you'd like to, you know, give to the AP world or a weird story or anything? Oh, I have, I have a little something, you know, um, that I wanted to share. I just wanted to give a big thanks to our troops and anybody that, you know, serves this country. I have a couple AP friends who are active military. Um, so a big shout out to everybody there. And, uh, Big thank you to everybody that has been a part of my journey. Thank you to you, Colin, for inventing this platform to allow me to network, you know, and meet some really cool people, especially along the lines of SD1 has just been an incredible resource in helping me navigate full-time AP. And he's just awesome. He's a, he's a really good guy, really stand-up guy. And I think that's that can be rare uh, nowadays. And so I, big thanks to him. And and anybody else that I've met along the way, anybody that has has been bankrolled by me, thank you for being a part of it. Thank you, this community as a whole, really. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. That's awesome. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in a casino? Oh, 
I've I've seen some stuff, my friend. I've played um in New Mexico, especially, you see some stuff. Um, I popped a tire in Albuquerque in the middle of the night. I mean, I know that's not in a casino, but it was on the way to a casino. And I I saw some people that I probably wouldn't like to see again. And then the tow ride home was interesting. I mean, weird. You could describe this as weird, but I've seen people like it's pretty sad. I've seen people lose their gas money to get home. I've seen people lose title loans on vehicles. I mean, that's that's pretty weird as it is. It's maybe a little more sad than weird, but what these big buildings can do to you is, is pretty crazy. So I think that everybody should just do their best to keep a good head on their shoulders and remember that even though we're APs, we're still, still susceptible to the, um, let's call it temptations that the casinos put in front of us every day. So I think just be uh, cautious of that. Yeah, it is it is such an odd balance where, in a sense, we do have to treat it like chips, not money, to kind of put those bets out there, you know, to be the people that are like throwing down a $1,000 bet and then like buying off the value menu after a session, but also to not become completely like out of touch with with the financial decisions we're making in a casino too. Yeah, it's, it's a tough balance, but uh, thanks for reminding people to to be aware of the risks of of uh, how we make decisions in in casinos and out of them, I guess. I guess one last little thing I'd share is that uh, it's probably always always best to be humble and and even though I'm sure everybody in this uh, that's going to watch this podcast has been you know pissed off at a ploppy before or just just not having it. Just remember that these people are people, and it, you never know what somebody's going through. I mean these. These places are more often than not a trap and a lot of people get caught in them in, in casinos, that is. And so just be empathetic and, and realize that those are people sitting next to you because I've trust me, I've been in that position where I, I haven't been the nicest to people and it, it doesn't always feel great. So do your best to treat people as you want to be treated. Absolutely. Yeah. Nichols is, has uh, kind of inspired me by the way that he thinks about, yeah, the degenerate next to him at the table and as well as everyone else. So that's a good, good reminder. Using the word degenerate kindly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, life's hard and, and people are finding, you know, unhealthy ways to cope left and right. But yeah, that, it's easy for me to say, oh, yeah, you know, we're the good guys. We're not them and all, all that. But, but at the same time, you know, having have empathy towards the people around me is definitely something I'm trying to grow in. So. Yeah, that, that's just it. And in by no way do I condone their actions, but a simple understanding of maybe why they're acting as they do is is uh, giving me some perspective as to not just dislike people immediately, if that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us. I've, I've had a blast the last hour hearing about it. And I don't know, people thank me for Blackjack Apprenticeship, but I'm like, I feel like thankful to the Fezzes, the, the SD1s, the Just 748s, because you're the ones that are making this still a thing and continuing to take my eye casinos, where, whereas, you know, it's been a while since that's been something I've done for a living. So thanks for your approach, your thoughtfulness, and the, you know, the dedication you put into the craft. It's it's absolutely a blast to to hear about what you've been doing the last year, and I can't wait to hear where things go. Maybe we could follow up in another year. Yeah, I would love to right on. Thank you guys both for uh, taking the time to reach out and, you know, give me the time to come on this platform and just share a little bit about what my experience has been like. It's been an absolute pleasure.
Yeah, and I hope you get some sleep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm going to go catch up on some sleep. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. For people that want to learn more about card carrying and advantage play, that's what we're about at blackjackapprenticeship.com. And until next time, we'll uh, see you guys on the forum. Bye.